You're listening to the Brave to Believe Baseball Podcast. All right, you guys, let's listen up. Welcome back to another episode of the Brave to Believe Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, JC. Joining me as always, Bryce. Bryce, how's it going this week? We are Tomahawk Chopping. Walking in high cotton, my friend. We are uh, the turntables have turned yet again. Braves another good week. I myself a little mentally exhausted today, a little noodly. Don't know what's going to come out of my mouth, so could get interesting. But other than that, feeling pretty good. Glad to know one of our teams is performing well. Um, does it feel like this is a roller coaster ride? from week to week we'll go ahead and start out with the Mets it's going to be somewhat of a brief conversation as far as I'm concerned but two weeks ago I get on here and ran about Mickey Calloway we somewhat right the ship go six and one then go on this road trip go two and five and then lost to the Giants last night the up and down is mentally exhausting as well and I I think I've come to the realization this team is just not that good I think I've made that comment already, but I didn't completely believe it. But right now I feel like this team is just – the bullpen's not good. The lineup's mediocre. Starting pitching is maybe just a little bit above mediocre. And this is just who we are. We're a 500 team at best, and we're going to hover there for most of the season. And it's it's pretty much the same thing, typical Mets, that they're going to attempt to give you some life, think, give you a reason to believe – and then they're just going to rip it right back away from you pretty much on a nightly or weekly basis. They're going to try to get your hopes up, and then they're going to let you down. And it just seems to be a little more, like you said, it is it is a bit more of a roller coaster this year as they look really good at times. You had a couple injuries. You were still playing well. But now the bullpen, woof. Well, and, you know, the big controversy, if you want to call it that, from last night, Mickey Calloway goes in. Noah Syndergaard was cruising, had two outs in the seventh inning at 103 pitches, and for some reason pulled him, uh, handed the ball over to Seth Lugo, who came in and immediately gave up a run. And then we go to extra innings and give up six runs. The bullpen as a whole, and I'm not going to harp on this because I've said it to him blue in the face, is, is just not good. Lugo's been pretty good, but he's been injured. Uh, Diaz has only had a couple hiccups. You could say he's been solid. Uh, but everybody that was kind of overachieving, your Tyler Bachelors, your um, Gesellmans, Gesellmans just overworked, I think, um, have really come back down to earth. And it's just, we're seeing the, the pitchers they are. And I guess the only question I have, and I'll pose this uh, before we move on to, to touch on the draft a little bit, you know, with Kimbrell still out there, you know, there's a lot of rumors going now that the draft's taking place and there's no pick attached to the Keiko and Kimbrell would would it be crazy of the Mets to make a push for Kimbrell yes and just basically well here my argument first don't need to everybody's gonna say well Diaz is the closer why not bring in Kimbrell and make Diaz your setup man you don't owe anything to Edwin Diaz 
you traded for him. He's 25 years old and he's making peanuts. Why not just go get an established closer? And then that gives you, you hope two consistent arms in the bullpen three. If you count Lugo, I could see where you would kind of strategize to, to possibly justify that. I don't know that New York fans are going to accept that you traded a number one pick who has looked really good in the minors so far. Granted, still super young, but you would have traded your number one pick from last year who has all the talent in the world for what is now after 70, maybe 60, 70 games. You're looking at him as a setup man. And Robinson Cano, who's been pretty much a disappointment, that it's overall, it's it, it, the ends don't justify the means. I get where you're going. Strategically, it would make sense, but you're in the same boat as a lot of other teams too Kimbrell's not going to fix all your problems and just because you would move those guys up that's not going to resolve issues of scoring runs you know getting more productive offense on a consistent basis other than Alonzo and McNeil so there's other issues to be addressed and I don't think taking on a monumental Kimbrell contract is going to fix that well and I guess the other argument is is there's a lot of San Francisco for one for a team that's not very good, they have a pretty solid bullpen. Uh, I think there's going to be a, a litany of uh, bullpen arms available come uh, in July. I think that a lot of people seem to be saying this too. They think that the trade deadline is probably going to pick up um, after the All Star break or around mm-hmm. the, or around the All Star break and move right. instead of waiting to the deadline because there's so many teams in it. I mean, you're talking what ten of the fifteen American League teams. I mean, are for the most part in it, and the National League is. Outside of a you know two or three teams, everybody's still hanging around because um, nobody's running away with these divisions. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it, it's a tough spot. Do you even try to do that, knowing that this team, like I said, this may be who they are? What's the point in making another acquisition? Why not sell off some of your pieces and see what you can recoup for your farm system? you're going to have to decide which way to go. And that's one of the things that we've focused on with the earlier trade deadline this year or the all-in-one trade deadline is that you're going to have to pick a direction and go. So the Mets are going to have to figure out, are we competing this year or are we not? And the group of players that we have, the Mets have seen reluctant for the past couple of years, rightfully so because there's talent there, but to even consider going down the rebuild path. And you're getting to that point where you're going to have to say, "Is this? do we have a core here that we're going to feel comfortable moving forward with and winning? Or is it time to start thinking about it and seeing what we can get for some of these guys? Because your, your core of guys that you have, I'm not convinced that there's going to be a division winner that can come from just this group and making some small additions in the next few years with as good as the rest of the division is going to be. So... You're going to have to do something to get much better soon or you're going to have to, uh, you know, figure out what you're going to do with the guys that you have now. I think that my kind of thought, my mindset has shifted from the rotation being so, uh, being so dependent on the rotation and that's the core to I think now I'm more confident in the position player core. Because as you mentioned, we're one of the youngest teams in baseball. Right. You have Conforto, you have Nemo, you have McNeil, J.D. Davis, um, Alonzo, Rosario, you know, is a little up and down. 
But, I mean, you have Andres Jimenez and some of those guys in the minor leagues. Um, although our farm system's not deep, there's some guys that are fairly close that I think are going to contribute sooner than later. So maybe it's a time they look at it and go, hey, we keep DeGrom because of that contract. Someone might take it on, but I don't see the point. And, you know, he, you made him the face of the franchise. Um, I think Wheeler, and I'm not trying to jump the gun and say that, you know, they're going to do a big sell-off, but Wheeler's obviously a free agent, so he's going to be available um, if things take a turn for worse than what they are now. Um, maybe a Vargas, that sounds crazy, but Vargas has actually been the most consistent starter over the last couple, uh, last month. So um, you just have a few guys out there, I think, that maybe you can recruit uh, recoup, I should say, uh, to build that farm system back up, get some prospects back. On that note, I'm going to change topics. And uh, Monday, uh, as we mentioned last week, uh, we were going to be excited about talking about the results from the draft um, that took place on Monday. And I really just want to touch on the t- first three picks because uh, it's very interesting. I mean, Bryce and I discussed this too. It's It's a lot different than the NFL or NBA draft, whereas you can look and see what a team's needs are and then, okay, there's three players that they're probably well, – out of those they're going to pick. Well, there's just a lot more mystery. And I think that makes it fun. But then, as I saw somebody put it, you know, we all become experts on people we heard of for the first time, you know, on Monday. So – Well, for baseball, too, not to dive too deep into how teams handle their strategy and everything, but baseball with so many players and with the fact that you're not going to see them for a few years, most of these guys – you can't draft for need in baseball as other you know other sports do. Football, you're going to draft a guy who could be your franchise player next year, and that's your hopes if you're drafting him in the first round. Baseball, this guy's probably not going to see the major leagues for three to four years maybe if you're lucky. So you can't draft based on the needs of your current big league team. You're drafting best, best players at maybe a position where you don't have a lot of depth in the minor league or you're just drafting the best all around. So it is different, but I think it makes it more exciting. Right. And most um, analysts kind of agreed with, with the haul that the Mets made, especially early on. They, uh, with the first pick, they took Brett Beatty, uh, third baseman, high schooler out of Lake Travis High School in Austin, Texas. A little bit older. I think he's like 19 years old. Um so he's a little older for a senior, uh, big kid though. And the comps, I immediately text uh, Bryce and told him one of the comps Harold Reynolds said was a uh, more uh, Freddie Freeman with more power. Which how much do these guys really know? I don't know how much they're analyzing them, but uh, that is pretty uh, pretty exciting. You throw a name like Freddie Freeman out with more power, I'm all in. He's a big kid, yeah, and a good swing. Um, so hopefully that's a guy that maybe has a fast track to the to the major leagues i'll go ahead and touch on the other two and then we can kind of discuss them as a whole round two they took josh wolf a right-handed pitcher out of houston texas st thomas high school went high school with all three picks um was a highly ranked uh, player going into the draft as well and then the most interesting thing round three they took matthew allen right-handed pitcher out of seminole high school in sanford florida he had fallen most lists had him in the top 15 um on their draft boards he had fallen because he had come out and said he wanted a $4 million bonus, whatever you want to call it. And most teams just kind of balked at it. Similar to what happened to Al Leiter's son. Um, and I'm not sure if that's because of the commitment. He, I think he's committed to go to Florida. So that'll be interesting to see if the Mets can sign him. They seem confident. Uh, they have about $8 million in money. They're in bonus money. 
but they said if the top two guys sign for slot, you're talking five million. That doesn't really I'm not great at math, but I don't think there's four million to go around after that. So thoughts on those three picks? I mean obviously we're we don't study MLB prospects until they get into a system. We kinda know more about them then, but I thought a, a, a pretty legit uh showing for the Mets at the draft this year. Yeah, if you get all three signed, I think there's a lot of potential there and some guys that could quickly rebuild or, or build back up the stock in the Mets system and make them a more formidable name uh, in terms of minor league depth uh, if they all turn out. And in high school, you never know what you're going to get. It's really tough to predict those guys, and you're basically betting on their development of not only their skill set but just their bodies in general of them putting on weight, muscle, seeing what kind of power they develop and, and how their skill set develops as well. So it's hard to predict, but I liked all of them. And uh, I think that the Mets had a good strategy going in and took some really talented guys. And if they can get all of them signed, there's a, a very high ceiling for all three of them. Not a super deep uh, draft class. I know next year they're really uh, hyping up that it's going to be one, you know, one for the ages. But um, Matthew Allen in the third round, I mean, he was – most, most people had him projected out as the number one right-handed pitching prospect uh, going into the draft. So to get him in that third round, like you said, it, it's a big if if they can sign all three of these guys. But for a farm system that you know is towards the bottom, uh, maybe inching towards the middle, but uh, not not in the upper echelon uh, in the National League, they really really needed a good showing. Uh, the only thing I was, other thing I was going to touch on, like I said, the Mets had kind of a rough week. Uh, they will uh, finish up the series with San Francisco tomorrow with an early day game. Colorado comes in over the over the weekend, and then fasten your seatbelts, folks, because it doesn't get any easier after that. Uh, they had two the Bronx for two, uh, then go on the uh, come back home four against the Cardinals, go on the road for three against the Braves, four against the Cubs, four against the Phillies, and then come back home for three more against the Braves. That's June, folks. So very easily, by the 30th of June, we're going to really know where this team stands. Either they're going to go on a – actually, you know what? I take that back because this team's probably going to play 500 over that stretch. They'll split a lot of these series or win a series, lose – I I don't see them going on a big winning streak. So, Um, But Mickey Calloway, his job will probably be determined in the next 20 days. Well, I like that you brought that up because we can. It kind of transitions into something I wanted to save until later, but I think that that's a good segue. Uh, a few weeks ago, we took a couple of moments. I believe it was in the middle of May. We don't have to talk about this if you don't mean to predict what how our teams would finish at the end of May. It was about I believe we had about two to three weeks that we were trying to to project out how they were going to finish for the rest of the month. And we said. How many games over or under 500 would our teams finish? Are you aware of the results of that? Uh, I'm sure you're going to tell me. I don't really want to. The New York Mets, you predicted six and a half or six games, six over, games 500. over 500. I was going to pull the, the videotape, but I was too lazy. So you predicted six games over 500. Would you like to guess what the record was as of midnight on May 31st? I would say they were two, three, two games under five hundred. One game under five hundred. Twenty-eight and twenty-nine. I was close. The Atlanta Braves. Do you remember what I 
estimated they would be at the end of May. I feel like you went safe at like two or three games over 500. I said three games over 500. Would you like to guess how many games over or under 500 they were at the end of May? Uh, I'm going to say four games. Three games exactly, 30 and 27. So I obviously know my team a little bit better than you do. And I just wanted to take a second to focus on how great I am. Well, I feel like I need to make, yeah, congratulations. <laughs> I feel like we need to make a, maybe I need to go the opposite way for the rest of June, June and say, hey, the Mets are going to be 10, 15 games under 500 by the end of the month. And then maybe they'll be the opposite. That's well, I really want, I wanted to focus on the end of the month prediction as well so that I can have some credit built up whenever we come back around to the end of season predictions and they're all every single one of them so far just absolute garbage yeah very much so nailed one of them well that's really all i have uh in mets land if you can tell i'm not i'm not gonna say i'm down it's just frustrated and it's too early to me to be this frustrated but i think this team is better than what they played However, they haven't been able to consistently rattle off wins. And until that happens, I'm going to watch the games, going to support the team, but I don't have a lot of faith that they're going to be in at the very end. And I don't want to rail and rail on the the Mets for the whole episode this week, but how many, what you just said, how many years in a row have you been able to say that now? That this team is not playing as well or as, as consistently as they should? This sounds, you know, taking it to the extreme but my whole life except I mean, for uh 2015 and the most it, frustrating thing and i think a lot of mets fans would would sympathize with this empathize i never know how to use that that actual word those two words empathize um it seems there's so many fans and i heard the darren meenan was on with uh clem and kfc on their podcast this week they were talking about it because a lot of those guys are around my age. I was, you know, born in '82. So the most frustrating part is people always say, "Well, the Mets won a World Series in 1986." Well, that's great. I was four, and I don't remember any of it. And that's what most people—they hover around that four to five year old range. When I was younger, uh, eight when the Braves won theirs. So even if you are, you know, of the age, it's so. I mean, you're talking. 30 plus years ago it's and we've been to world series and that's great but i don't know but you still and we can we always go back and forth on this you've now been to one more world series than i have in my adult lifetime yeah it's been approaching 20 years since we've been to the world series i was talking about it with my wife the other day and we were just touching on like happy moments when it comes to baseball the santana no hitter is one and she, it was, it was around my birthday in 2015. She threw somewhat of a surprise party. Um, and we all watched the, I believe it was game three, maybe, of the World Series. I think so. And uh, the Mets won that game. But how sad is it to think that I've only got to really see that's my best memory is them winning one game in the World Series. It is what it is, I guess. It's still one more than me. I mean, they won in the in the Subway Series, but that was another. I mean, I was into the Mets then, but it wasn't quite the. I don't know. 
I'm going to digress. I, I, I'm getting more depressed thinking about it. But so. you still, in comparison, you have to think about the Braves' uh, playoff memories from the past few years, losing in the first round every year for over the past decade. We have the outfield fly game, which is my most memorable moment, sadly. Um, that's it. Yeah. We've been there. We're not doing anything, but we've been there. So it's not right. the results aren't drastically different, but you can still – just tell that it feels different in just the way that the franchises have been ran with a little more consistency and, and the Braves going through the entire rebuild and now looking like, you know, a more and more of a contender every year, hopefully. So, well, that's all I got. Maybe we can, Bryce can lift my spirits with all the positive Braves news. Uh, Recapping just a little bit of the draft, uh, don't want, once again don't want to go too in depth on it so I'll I'll cover the first three picks for the Braves uh, from this past week as well the biggest one uh, first round pick Shea Langoliers from Baylor he's a catcher a lot of different comparisons out there he was the best defensive catcher in the draft which is my biggest point of emphasis and and I'm super over the moon about he has a really good bat but they say that he is a you know once once a decade defensive type catcher who's going to he threw out 70% of the base runners his sophomore year 59 I believe his his senior year or junior year whichever one he just completed so he's incredible defensively the bat's going to continue to develop he just had a three homer 11 RBI game in the college world series and he's a real leader they talk about as well his intangibles are, are through the roof so very excited about that. Should be able to see him in hopefully two to three years. They think he'll be fast-tracked and hopefully be our catcher of the future. And super excited about him. think it was a great pick and somebody that we could really use in the minors. Uh, you know, with a lot of the young pitching that we have, he's going to be able to work with them and hopefully be able to come up with them as well. The other two picks were kind of head-scratchers. One was Braden Shoemake who is an infielder, sort of a utility infielder, plays mostly shortstop for Texas A&M. Pretty good with the bat, pretty good defensively profiles as a utility player. I don't really know. He was he was kind of projected to go in that range, but I'm not sure what the Braves are going to utilize him as. Uh, ben Zobrist is what everybody's compared him to. That's not that high of a ceiling if you're going to be taking somebody, you know, in the – with the 21st pick of the draft so i'm not sure really what the strategy was there and the real head scratcher was bo phillips shortstop oregon state that went with third pick who wasn't projected to go for about another 100 or 150 picks i don't know what they were thinking uh he's not the potential is not where you would want it to be for a second round pick Uh, i'm not sure what the strategy was whether it came to trying to save money with what they're gonna have to pay him or, or what was going through their heads so I don't know. I'm not that concerned about it at this moment. I love the uh, the Langoliers pick at number one. That's the one I'm going to focus the most on as we have a lot of depth in you know the minor leagues when it comes to pitching. Two stud outfield prospects. Infield, there's a, you know maybe one or two guys down there. Not really worried about it. We have you know a solid infield for the next five to six years to come. Not worried about those spots with uh, Dansby, Riley, Ozzy, and Freeman all. I mean, those are cornerstone guys. They're going to be there for a while. And then catcher, you got one decent catching prospect in uh, Contreras in AA, and now you have your cornerstone, hopefully, catching prospect. So we've, I feel pretty good about it. I, I Hopefully, those there's 
just taking risks that will pay off or I'm, maybe they're trying to save some money for next year since it is going to be such a deep draft. I don't know, but I'm not too concerned about it at this moment because I feel pretty good about where our minor leagues are. Yeah, and the minor leagues are in great shape. And I guess the only thing I would point out is the – which I don't, how much longer does the the um, international – it's not really a ban, but – Oh, the ban. I believe um, maybe one more year. Maybe it's through the next or through next year. I'm not. I'm not positive. Until that's over, my point would, was being that. Um, and even then, when we come back, it's going to be restricted. It's going right. to slowly be back implemented because of some of your top players being from the Dominican Republic. Right. And, um, it, it puts more emphasis on the draft on the first year player draft. So, like you said, I mean, it's the rich get richer. Their their farm system's pretty stacked as it is. I'm sure you have the utmost confidence in what they're doing. Uh, draft wise but like you said it's hard to tell for a while but i like the the langoliers pick um that's i think they're they're gonna be in good shape for years to come hopefully and speaking of being in good shape that's the braves right now came into today still a half game back of the phillies after they won last night as well and uh really playing good baseball looking the the lineup is looking dynamic up and down uh, really hitting on all cylinders uh, you know a couple guys are still a little slow to uh, to get going with some momentum Acuna's been so so recently just not being his normal outstanding self Albies is still having trouble with his splits from the left and right side of the plate and uh, Donaldson had, had scuffled a little bit but then hit a big uh, three-run homer last night so that's a little bit of recovery Marquez is on another cold spell so you're playing good baseball but we're still winning games and you're doing it without a couple of guys really playing their best baseball. So it's encouraging. Pitching's still been pretty decent. Max Freed's really struggled here recently. Had another tough night last night. He's given up a lot of hits. That's been his main problem. Uh, I know he gave up nine in the outing before last night and then uh, was in the same range last night. Has really, really kind of scuffled here recently. So we'll see how that pans out. And, uh, Soroka last start looked terrible. Gave up a whole three runs in his start. So we're uh, that's Hope you didn't jinx that side young talk. Yeah. Wow. yeah, I'll hold off before I say anything else. Is he qualified now? Uh, I think he's still uh, coming out of his last outing. I think he was about two thirds of an inning short. So I think he will definitely be qualified after his next outing. Uh, but he's still right there. I think Ryu might have passed him again after his uh, start last night. I think he moved down to about 1.39, uh, somewhere in that range. So I think he's just ahead of where Soroka is. But he still uh, still looked really good, and and we're we're going to need another. I think we're going to need another arm, and I think that that's going to become the focus as we move forward uh, and closer to the trade deadline. We're going to need another starter. It's not going to be Dallas Keuchel. That conversation shouldn't even be had. Bumgarner is still going to be a topic that people are going to bring up, especially with one of their relievers. Uh, they, I know David O'Brien has been a, been a big champion of getting Bumgarner and, and packaging one of their relievers with him. So who knows? We're we're gonna we're gonna have to add somebody with the inconsistency of Mike Fultonevich, Kevin Gossman, uh, those two guys. Their their inability to put together consecutive good starts is really still kind of putting a damper on what the Braves are able to achieve. They're getting lucky because the lineup is still played so well and they're still able to to score a lot of runs. But we're going to need a more consistent 
arm in that rotation if we're gonna really make a strong push for the for the title again with the way the Phillies have been playing they're still you know putting wins together so the Braves are gonna have to to stay competitive but they're gonna have to come up with something to be a little bit of a remedy for that rotation that was gonna be my next point now with uh and you hate to see it with McCutcheon going down I've always liked McCutcheon seems like a great guy um tearing his ACL gonna miss the rest of this season and most of next year and most probably. of it. So, and, and you know, another one is, is is Robertson, who's been out for a big chunk of the season for them. Their bullpen hasn't been that great. I, I, I'm of the opinion, and it's not just because, and I'm not being a hater, uh, the Phillies have, have been impressive with what they've done. I think the bubble's going to burst for that team at some point. They're ripe for the picking right now, and if the Braves can rattle off a good month, then I think the Phillies are really going to come back down to earth. So this may be the opportunity for the Braves to really, you know, cruise on past the Phillies at the top of the NL East. Well, we'll get to see them next weekend. And as it looks right now, I'll get to be in attendance for one of those games. So it's pretty exciting. And that will be the first time I've, uh, believe I've been to see them whenever they're playing the, the, the Phillies in person. So pretty excited. And it's going to be a very telling series as, you know, you don't play must win games in June, but it's going to feel like a big series with as well as the Braves have been playing Phillies have been struggling just a little bit. It's going to feel like a big game atmosphere in Atlanta, and hopefully they can come through and and maybe, if not they're if they're not already in the, the division lead by then, maybe push through in that series. Absolutely, a little uh, live breaking news, I guess it would say. I guess you could say I right before we went on to start recording, I was dogging Robinson Cano for once again not running out a ground ball to first base. Uh, I just noticed that a Danny Hecavaria came in to take his place at second. <laughs> uh, at first, I thought, oh, well, Mickey finally grew a pair and pulled him out of the game. Uh, we don't have the audio on, but I am watching, obviously watching the game. Looks like he pulled up lame running to first. So in his first game back off the injured list, he's probably headed right back to it. So uh, Happy trails, Robinson Cano. Yeah. Anyways, we can go back to the Braves now. That was the, uh, a joke. <laughs> The only other thing I really wanted to touch on, and we don't have to make it a long conversation this week because I think it's going to be an ongoing heated discussion for us for the rest of the year. Austin Riley is the greatest player on the planet. And our ongoing sort of debate has already been what's going to be most contentious is the National League Rookie of the Year. We both already feel like we have guys that are going to be 1-2, hopefully, with uh, Pratic, uh, or Pratic struggling a little bit for the Padres recently, uh, and you don't know if Soroka is going to be able to maintain what he's been doing. So if you're a betting man, you're putting your money either on Austin Riley or Peter Alonzo for the National League Rookie of the Year. And it's going to be a good race. So far, Riley is off to a fantastic start. Right. And you just hope, you know, if you're a Braves fan, that he can continue. You know, Pete got off to a hot start, and everybody was like, okay, the book will get out on him. Well, we're heading into the middle of June, and the book is obviously out on Pete Alonzo, and he has 20 home runs and 50 RBIs, and we're still a month away from the All-Star break. So you hope that – and everything I've seen from Riley, he seems like a similar hitter. He makes good adjustments. And that's going to be the key when you're a rookie because if you don't make adjustments, and we've seen guys do it all the time, come up with, you know, tearing the cover off the ball, and within a month 
they're figured out and they go ice cold yeah i agree completely and i was going to say the same thing these are very similar players um obviously playing on opposite sides of the diamond but both of these guys are probably going to strike out 150 175 times in a full season they're going to hit 30 home runs they're going to hit about 250 so i think you're going to get similar results and it's just fun that they're able to do this both in their first full season for alonzo and somewhat full season for riley and it's really going to be uh, you know an intriguing race down through the final months to see which guy can really propel his team with the way that Riley has. It's very similar to the way Acuna came in last year once he got moved to the leadoff spot and wasn't just a rookie that was outplaying the expectations. He was the catalyst for a team that was streaking um, as the Braves have been playing so well here recently, and Riley is a big, you know, a big part of that. And he's not going to – currently he's still hitting about 320, I think. He's not going to maintain that. He's not a 320 right. hitter. But it just seems like – if you go look at his stats in every clutch situation, he had another three-run home run last night to take the lead in the eighth inning. He's a clutch hitter. He's got it. He's He's got a little bit of that swagger and charisma that he's able to step in in those big pressure situations, and he just comes through. So that's a big thing I look at. And even those nights when he's going, he you know, he steps to the plate and he's over three with two strikeouts, you still feel like he's going to be able to hit a ball hard somewhere. Same thing with Alonzo. They both just have that, you know, 2019 thing about being a hitter that no matter how many times they've struck out in the game, you fear them when they step to the plate because they're still dangerous of hitting one out of the park. Well, you mentioned those numbers, and there was a – I caught just a twinge of almost negativity saying the numbers that he would have. Not necessarily negativity, but there is whenever you talk about a guy hitting 250, 240. But if you're looking at it, you know, from an outsider's perspective, that's Bryce Harper. Right. Those are Bryce Harper numbers. So if a guy I'll take two forty, two fifty if he's hitting thirty bombs and knocking in a hundred. Um I don't know when as as baseball fans or at least like analysts got so, you know, obsessed with what the average was. You know, it's fine I guess if you have a guy hitting three hundred, but there there aren't many guys hitting three hundred other than Trout and hitting thirty home runs. You know, there's only a few of those players in the game. So What's wrong with, like I said, 240, I th- 30, and 100, I'll take it. Yeah, I don't think anybody's looking down on those guys at this point because some of the best players in the game are 250 hitters. Uh, Dansby Swanson, as of right now, if you project it out over the whole season, he may hit close to 30 home runs, have 100 RBIs, and hit 240, 250 as a shortstop. And that season will be one of the best shortstops for all shortstops in the major right. leagues. So it just depends on how you're going to look at it. 240, 250, you'll take it in today's game just because the strikeouts are so high, pitchers are so good, and it really, at the same time, it makes you appreciate guys like Freddie Freeman, Mike Trout, who hit consistently 310, 315, 320 every single year. Uh, You really gain a a better appreciation for those guys, but 240, 250 is nothing to look down on these days, especially when a lot of these guys are so dangerous every time they come up. Yeah, they might strike out two times, uh, you know, in a big game, but whenever they come to the plate, seventh, ninth inning, you're still scared of them because they're so dangerous and because the, you know, exit velocity and all that, guys hit the ball hard. If you're hitting the ball hard every time you come up, good things are going to happen more times than not. Well, another similarity, I think, just from the limited time I've seen Riley, but obviously watching Alonzo more, is they are two guys who, like you said, they're going to strike out, but 
if they get the pitch they're looking for, they don't miss that pitch. Right. They're not fouling it off or spoiling it. They're, as you said, you know, they're putting some exit velocity on it and they're crushing the ball. And that's why they've, you know, had the early success this season. And it, a lot of it depends on the player too. And this will be kind of a, my last note on Riley is that they were telling on the broadcast last night, the thing that he was most excited about when he came up to the major leagues was having access to the Braves library, video library. And they said that he watches hundreds of repetitions of pitchers before he ever faces them. So he's a guy that studies film, knows what he's walking into and you can see it. He, if you watch Braves games, the first time he comes up, put your money on a strikeout because he's not going to have good timing on the pitcher or, you know, have a great feel for the, for the windup or whatever their motion is. But that second and third time, he's going to put the bat on the ball most likely. And uh, that's why I think that he, he does so well later in games as well is because you have a lot of these guys coming in, throwing high heat, thinking he can't get to it. And that's not been too much of a problem for him. So he's got all the things working right now. Hopefully he can continue and uh, keep the Braves playing the way that they have. They have uh, one, uh, two more, I believe, with the Pirates as I pull this up. I know the weather was possibly an issue for tonight's game. I don't know if they yeah. ever got started or not. but They did start uh, still currently delayed. So they have tonight with the Pirates and another one tomorrow with the Pirates. Then they bring in the uh, one of the hottest teams in baseball, the Miami Marlins for the weekend <laughs> series. And um, then we have Pittsburgh again for three more at home. Uh, then Philly comes to town, and then the Mets comes to town, and then Washington. So not too much of a, of a tough series here. And then we do have uh, the Mets again to wrap up the month. So several uh, several games within the NL East, hopefully a chance to make up some room and uh, you know put a little breathing room between them and at least the Mets and gain a little more ground on the Phillies and maybe separate themselves. Absolutely, I hope not. But, um, yeah, good positive week um, for one for, of us for the Braves. Maybe the Mets can turn the corner. Currently up five to nothing. I will wind up going home and hope the bullpen doesn't blow it again as they have done for the last week. And at um, least we can be appreciative that we're not on the West Coast anymore. Exactly, either of us. So if they're going to blow it, <laughs> they can do it on a normal normal time where we can still go to bed at a reasonable hour. Absolutely. Well, if you want to check us out, and obviously if you're listening to us, you already. Uh, have a chance to uh, to know where we're located. We're on Stitcher, we're on Spotify, and obviously iTunes. As we say it every week, if you have a chance, hop over to iTunes, give us a give us a review, a five star, of course. We greatly appreciate it. And uh, Bryce, you want to let them know where they can check us out on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Brave the Number Two Believe, or shoot us an email Brave the Number Two Believe Pod at Gmail dot com. Thoughts, questions feedback concerns rants really whatever. anything forwards from your racist uncle whatever you got we'll take it uh also if facebook's your thing we do have a new facebook page so hop over there and give us a like we would greatly appreciate it that's going to wrap things up for this episode we appreciate that you spending some time with us and best of luck to all the braves fans and mets fans out there we'll join you again next week on the brave to believe baseball podcast <laughs>